Well, good morning. Today, uh, we conclude the series that we began on Palm Sunday, and it's a series called This is Love, Seeing the Love of God in the Story of the Crucifixion and the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, because of Jesus' resurrection, we know what his death was about. We know what the cross was about because he rose from the grave. Had Jesus never rose, we would have never known what the cross really was. That Jesus entered into our pain. That Jesus entered into our shame. And that by doing so, he exterminated the weight of evil upon this world. No other God, no other religion, no other, no other story has its God coming into the world and saving it through sacrifice like the Christian gospel does. And because Jesus didn't stay in the grave, we know that Easter is about overcoming death. It's about God setting things right and making all things new with some things still the same. You're still you. And so this is love. It's a love that forgives us. It's a love that conquers the grave. It's a love that frees us. It's a love that renews us and i want to tell you this right now i believe what i just said i believe this with all my heart as jesus was dying on the cross had i been there had i had the guts to be there i'd have looked up and i might not have realized it at the moment but the thought would have come to my head you know what everything jesus ever did he did love this must be love too and as I was wondering what Jesus was doing on the cross, there was another person who was wondering what Jesus was doing on the cross too. And his name is the devil. You ever wonder about that? You know, you hear sermon after sermon, Easter after Easter, story after story. And you know in this great story of the Bible, you've got God and you've got the devil, right? The, the forces of good and the forces of evil. And it seems like on the cross that the forces of evil are triumphing. They've, they've just now executed the, the, the general, the commander-in-chief of all of the armies of good, and he's up there and he's dying, and we get this kind of sense that the devil and his minions are going, <laughs> we killed them, we got them, yes, yes, yes. But I submit to you, at some point during this whole process, it becomes clear to the devil that Jesus dying on the cross might not be a good thing. And what I'm going to show you from Mark chapter 15 is there are actually a few things that Satan does to try to get Jesus off of the cross. The greatest temptations that Jesus would ever face is while he is hanging there on that Good Friday for six hours as temptation after temptation comes his way. The gospel records three distinct ones. I'm sure there might have been 300 over the course of those six hours that Jesus was hanging there. But the prime temptation has never changed. From Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted by the devil before he starts his ministry, and now he's tempted by the devil as he's finishing up the first part of his ministry, here's the temptation. It's very simple. Do it your way. Do it your way. Forget about God's way. Forget about, you know, God's left you here. God's left you on this cross. 
You're hurting, you're broken, and you're beaten. But Jesus, you know what? I'm not asking if you're the Son of God anymore. I know you're the Son of God. I know you've got power in you. I know that all you got to do is look at those nails that are holding you together, and they will fly out, and they'll fly out of your feet. You can levitate above the ground. You can land softly. You can snap your fingers and give everybody who executed a heart attack like that. The devil is no longer doubting Jesus' sonship. And now he's on the cross and the devil is realizing, wait a minute, I may have made a mistake. And now let's appeal to Jesus' human nature to see if we can get Jesus to do it his way rather than do it God's way. And so he sets up some of the most fierce temptations. Now, people never even talk about crucifixion. It is amazingly, agonizingly painful there is a nerve that you have in your wrist, both wrists, your ankles, and your, what's the tailbone called again? Your tailbone. <laughs> what's the tailbone called again? <laughs> it's called your tailbone. But it's the co- coccyx, right? Something like that. Coccyx. So coccyx, two wrists, and two ankles have a ball of nerves. And when you pierce those, it's like a thousand lightning bolts of pain hitting you all at once. And it usually cramps the body and seizes the body. That's how painful it is. So they would have taken Jesus. They would have laid him out on a Roman crossbeam. And a Roman crossbeam is very thick. It's about eight inches, an eight-inch plank uh, up and wide, obviously. And they would have laid him there. They would have spread out his hands. And they would have found that nerve. And they would have punctured the nail right through that nerve. And if one wasn't bad enough, they'd have done it to the other. So now he's hanging there. But of course, once they hoist him up, what happens with gravity? Now he's hanging down. So he's got like a constant finger on the nail, on the nerve that is writhing him in pain. All six hours he is on the cross. Jesus is in unthinkable pain. In fact, have you ever heard of the word excruciating? excruciating pain the the etymology of that word how that word came into being is excruce or from the cross it's a word that goes literally back to jesus's crucifixion that it is so painful it is excruciating it is like dying on the cross or hanging on a cross and so we know what that means imagine that times a thousand because that's what jesus lived it he is in immense intense pain and let me tell you this right now It is when you are in immense and intense pain that the devil will come at you with everything he's got. He is not a fair fighter. He is a cheap, low-blow fighter. And it is when you are most vulnerable. Now, some of you may say, well, I've never hung on a cross. That's not the only pain I'm talking about. It could be emotional pain. It could be mental pain. It could be memory pain could be physical pain could be a whole bunch of other different pains i don't think i need to go into them i think you know exactly the kind of pains it could be for you identity pain all sorts of pains and just as it seems like you got something just pressing into it constantly then you hear that little voice of the devil saying look where god has left you Look at the mess you're in. Look how he has not helped you. Look how he's just left you there. Look how you're in pain. Look how everybody's looking at you, thanking God they're not you. You know, look at where you are at, Jesus. 
and then the temptations come. You say, all right, Tom, all right, Tom, what are the temptations? Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 15, Mark chapter 15, or look on the screen and you will see them. The first one is this, uh, beginning in verse 23. Temptation number one, Jesus, take drugs. So you go, wait a minute, what, really? Jesus was offered dope? <laughs> yes, Jesus was offered narcotics. Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, was offered an anesthetic to take away the pain, be it an ancient form, but it's a narcotic nonetheless. Look at verse 23. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. If they'd have just offered him wine, well, that's one thing. He'd have probably sucked a lot out of that sponge to get drunk. But it was wine mixed with myrrh. Myrrh is a narcotic. Ever heard of Norco? Ever heard of Oxycontin? Ever heard of some of these pain-relieving drugs that we have? It's the, same, it's the same principle. It's a narcotic that acts as an anesthetic that both numbs the pain in your body, but it also has another side effect. Anybody know what that is? What does it do up here? It compromises your wits, doesn't it? I remember when my mom had knee surgery and she was on Norco, and I'd call her up, and I'd be go, oh my goodness, who is this person? You know? We had the strangest conversations on the telephone. In fact, I'm a horrible son. I, I recorded one of them. I did. I recorded one of them. And I specifically, like, tried to trip her up in the conversation, you know, to try to get her to, to see what the effect of this drug was having on her. Because I was encouraging her. I'd say, you know what? You can't be on this forever. Eventually, you're going to have to start taking some of the sting and some of the soreness of, of having the knee heal. Thankfully, she agreed with me and she got off of it. But she was on it for a long time. And, and she was just starting to get weird. You begin to lose your wits and your faculties. This is what I think the enemy is trying to do, Jesus, on the cross. Let's get them all drugged up, too doped up to do God's will. Maybe we can get them to sin. And so while he's on the cross, he's offered wine mixed with myrrh. It says, but he did not take it. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that all painkillers are bad. If you have a surgery and you have a chance to get some painkillers, man, you take it. You know, if, if you're about to get a tooth pulled, where are you, Jack? Jack, come here for a second. Come here. You, you have to come all the way. Just come in for a second. Come here, come here. I want everybody to look at this man. He just had a tooth pulled without any anesthetic. Could, could we say that was excruciating pain? Yeah, yeah. And you would have loved to have a little bit of Vicodin before you had that, right? <laughs> That's pain. That's pain. All right? Now, you might say, why are you going into this? Because there is a context where taking some Vicodin, taking some ibuprofen, every, every time I go for a jog, I'm pretty faithful now. When I get back, I take some ibuprofen. Why? Because I know the next morning I'm not... 18 in year old anymore so it's going to be stiff and I, I need to do that however that's that's one thing sometimes we take drugs to escape you know what i'm talking about whether it's too much to drink at night a little bit of hitting on the weed during the day or whatever you know finding wherever it is where it's our feel good 
because the stress, the pressure, the temptations, everything is too much and we're just too weak. So we got to have something to help us escape it for a little bit, thinking that if we escape it for a little bit, we'll get stronger to face it. The fact of the matter is that's a lie. You may escape it a little bit and you find that you are only weaker to face whatever temptation, whatever stress, whatever trial, whatever's going on, you're only weaker and you get weaker and weaker and weaker until pretty soon you got to become a full-blown addict and just escape all the time. The devil's a low, low, low baller, trust me. This is what's happening here. And Jesus says, no. I'm in pain. And believe me, I want to get out of it. But the Father's will is always first for me. And if right now i got to suffer for the Father, I would rather suffer for the Father and know that there's a beautiful, rewarding redemption on the other side than take the easy way out of Satan, knowing it's only going to be that much harder to face it when the high wears off. Amen? Number two. Number two. You guys are a little quiet on that one. <laughs> we'll keep going. Number, temptation number two, verse 29. <clears throat> the second temptation was for Jesus to get defensive. Jesus, defend yourself. Says that those who passed by hurled insults at him. This isn't just passive. Oh, hey, Jesus. Oh, hey, Jesus. You know, they're not just like whispering themselves. Hey, Jesus. <laughs> You said that you destroy the temple in three days. Well, look at you now. Why don't you come down the cross and do it? Jesus. It's hurling insults at him. You guys liked that, didn't you? <laughs> Essentially, they're saying, Jesus, prove yourself. Now, in a moment, I'm going to show you. Every one of these temptations, Jesus had an answer for. The temptation that what they were saying was not necessarily untruthful. Jesus did say that. However, Jesus was going to answer them God's way rather than his own way. You're going to see the answers in just a second. The third temptation is this, Jesus win the debate. Finally, the people who got Jesus executed have got the guts to go and see him hanging on the cross. But they're not insult hurlers. They're too passive, too wimpy, too sneaky, and too conniving to be like that. It says they begin to talk amongst themselves. In verse 31, in the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, that's mocking, this king of Israel, Remember, it's on the sign above them. Come down from the cross and look at that last part. That we may see and believe in him. Jesus, if you're the son of God, you're the Messiah, your mission, your mission, Jesus, is to get people to believe in you. I'll tell you what, we'll do it. We will believe in you if you do something for us. Come on down from that cross. You come on down from that cross, we will believe in you and we will follow you. You ever have that in your life? God, if you do this, I'll believe in you. God, if you take away these feelings or take away this pain, then I'll give you a shot. God, 
this happened. I didn't want it to happen. You let it happen. That's why I'm not believing in you. You ever have those moments? God himself no less faced that. Jesus, all you have to do, we know you can do it. Just think it. You've got the power of thought. Think it. Those nails will fly out. You can hop off down the cross, and we will all bow and believe in you. I bet you even the Romans will believe in you. Everybody will believe in you. Some of you may be thinking, gosh, why didn't he do that? Because it would have been sin. That was not the Father's will. That was not where God was leading him. As rational as they're sounding, it doesn't matter how rational the temptation may be, if it's not where God's leading, it's the wrong path for you. Amen? Well, let's look at the answers. In the midst of great suffering, Jesus answers all three of those temptations, but rather than doing it his way or the way they were tempting him to do it, Jesus did it God's way. And the first answer is this. In verse 37, it says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. This is the answer to the drugs. Had Jesus got himself all doped up, he probably would have hung there for another two or three days. Who knows what he would have said? Who knows what he would have did? He'd have lost control of his faculties. Any of you who have ever been drunk or high or, or just taken too much painkillers or, or no cur or whatever, you know you begin to get mentally compromised. And you say things you don't mean. You do things you know you should have done. And you're, oh my goodness, that was just the alcohol it did. Or that was the drugs that whatever. Jesus never lost control here. Pain firing away like you can't imagine. He was never compromised here. When Jesus died, we didn't kill him. He gave up his spirit, fully aware, fully in his right mind, in his wits. How do we know that? Well, the Passover was the next day, and the Jews said, you know, we need to take the dead bodies down before Passover. So the Romans, they would go and they would break the legs of the people on the cross so that they would suffocate and die within minutes rather than within days. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. Now, Jesus probably should have lived another day, another, another longer than he did. But he decided, fully aware, it's time. And he separated his soul from his body. His soul went down into Hades. If you'd have been here last Wednesday, you'd have heard all about that. His soul went down to Hades, and his body was left dead on the cross. They didn't break his legs. They pierced his side with a spear. So that was the first answer. You're not going to give me drugs because I'm dying on my own terms. Second answer was this, verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Remember what they're saying? Jesus, destroy the temple. The miraculous tearing of the curtain when Jesus died, that happened simultaneously, was God essentially saying the temple is over. The temple is over because the curtain separated the presence of God from the worshipers. What does the torn curtain mean? Now the worshipers and the presence of God can be together because Jesus has been sacrificed. Jesus did have an answer for the temple, but it wouldn't be by him coming down from the cross. It would be by him dying on the cross. The third answer was this, and this is the most important. Remember what the Pharisees said, come down and we will believe in you. Jesus, your mission, 
is to get everybody to believe in you. If you come down, we will believe in you. And here's what I would say to that. Jesus did come down from the cross. And the Roman centurion who climbed up the ladder and brought his dead body down from the cross, do you know what he said? Surely, truly, this was the Son of God. The very first non-Jewish convert that Jesus had was the Roman soldier who took him down from the cross. Jesus answered every single, yeah, I'm going to come down from the cross and people are going to believe in me. It's not going to be you because you want me to do it not God's way. But when I come down the cross God's way, you see that soldier right there? He's going to get saved. Amazing what Jesus did. This is love. It is a love that suffers. Believing that God will build something better for tomorrow through our sufferings of today. I remember when my kids were little, whenever my wife would go to the grocery store, uh, and by the way, this was back when they gave the bags for free. Yeah. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Wasn't too long ago, but I loved that time, right? What all of those grocery bags became was my bathroom trash liners, you know? They were perfectly sized for that, and now the new ones are so thick and all that, and I, you're not supposed to throw them away. I don't, anyway, I can't stand it. I understand what they're trying to do, so I get the save in the environment part, but I really loved when they were free. The only problem was when they were free, they were a little weaker. Remember that? They weren't as like strong as the ones you pay for. They were a little thinner. And so when my wife would come back with all the groceries, me and the kids, we'd all go out and help her. Well, they were little, and they weren't very strong at that time. So I'd give each one one bag, and then I would take in all the rest. And I remember as I'm like, and I'm like walking in, you know, sometimes I'd kind of flex a little bit, you know. <laughs> Wanted my boys to see dad, you know. Sometimes even little Thomas, I'd let him hang on my arm a little bit, you know, as, as we're walking up the sideway, walking to the house, and they'd always be like, Daddy, you're so strong, you know. I, I know, I know. Keep going. Keep going. You're doing great. You know, yeah. And, and and they'd always do stuff like that. One time, one of my sons says, Daddy, I want to take two. I want to take two bags. I knew he wasn't strong enough, but sometimes you just got to learn the hard way. So I let him have two, and pretty soon it, I learned the hard way. He drops it, and it explodes all over the sidewalk. And he, he's up crying. He's upset. You know, he feels like he let the family down, and it's not that big a deal, but, you know, so we clean it up, we get it, and I, I go into his room, and he says, Dad, I don't get it. How am I going to become as strong as you? And I said, son, I said, believe me, Dad ain't that strong, but the strength I have is come through hard work and suffering. You don't just grow muscles by sitting on the couch and watching TV. You don't just grow muscles by living a life of comfort and ease. You got to get out and work them. And when you work them, you suffer a little bit. You hurt a little bit. It aches. You know, when you're working out, I remember when I was working out, because I had to drop a whole bunch of weight for wrestling in high school, I'd be working out, and the, and the wrestling coach would say, now listen, start going, but really nothing's happening until you start hurting. 
It's when you start hurting that you're starting to tear a little bit into the muscle. And as you tear a little bit into the muscle, it's going to grow more muscle on top of that, and you're going to grow your muscle. So, you know, you do the easy part so that you can get to the pain. And then once you get to the pain, then we'll do a 10 count. 10 count? I can barely do two more after the pain. We'll do a 10 count. So be... <sighs> 10 oh nine and i'm just like dying you know i'm like feeling like i'm in labor no i don't know what that feels like <laughs> but you know what i'm saying you know is this <laughs> you know and finally one <clears throat> and i can like you know i'd have to tell him can you push me you know he'd have to push me off the weight bench because i just like seize but he was right so much of the strength and the growth happened in those last 10 reps when it hurt the most. And that's a principle for life. So much of our strength to face the stress, the pressure, all the cheap shots of the enemy coming at us in life is often going to be in those last 10 reps. And Jesus is right there next to you saying, don't quit, don't stop, keep pushing, let it burn, keep going, keep going. And then he's there to push you off the bench when you can't go anymore. Amen? Amen. A couple of things here and I'll let you go. First of all, when you suffer, number one, suffer drug-free. Suffer drug-free. You may lose the pain when you escape through drugs, but you also lose your wits. And it makes it just much, that much harder to climb out later on in life. Second thing is, suffer without getting defensive. Let me say, what does that mean? A lot of times I'll have a pastoral care appointment and I'll meet with somebody and we'll talk and we'll pray and it's great and they feel great and they're like, oh my gosh, I am going to change my life after this meeting. And I'll usually call them a day or two later and I'm like, oh yeah, nothing's changed. Well, what happened? Well, I went home, I had about 15 minutes where I felt good, and then my husband had to start a fight with me, or my kids had to start a fight with me, or my mom had to call, and da 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 or my dad just said I was getting emotional in church, and da 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 and I, all this stuff. I said, well, how did you respond? Well, I fought back. No, see, that was your problem. You don't need to get defensive. Just go home and trust God to defend you. Trust God to let people see the change and the calmness upon you by going home with his peace rather than with the world's fear. So often we blow our own growth because we got to jump in and get in the fight and defend ourselves. When we let God defend ourselves that we experience our greatest victories. Number three, suffer without debates. You know what the problem with debates are? They can go either way. Hey, the Pharisees were right to some degree. Jesus did want the world to believe in him. They were wrong in the method. I remember when I was in college, uh, I, need, I was short money, and I needed to get money to stay in college. I, I went to a, a college that cost a lot, and I, I, just, I needed money. And so a friend of mine said, if you join the speech and debate team, they'll give you money for it. I'm like, really? Yeah. So I joined the speech and debate team. And then they said, hey, if you win the tournament, We'll give you $1,000 toward next quarter's tuition. $1,000 just for winning? That's the best trophy of my life, you know? So, I mean, we, I got all st- studied and prepped and, you know, listening to Hannity and Combs and all that. I'm, like, getting all into this. And I remember we won. 
And I walked away from that experience with this. You know how I had to win? If there were five or six debates, probably four of them, I had to argue for the other side of what my personal values were. Does that make sense? So let's say the issue was like, you know, abortion or something like that. I had to argue for it rather than my personal view being against it, you know. And we won the tournament. And I remember walking away going, you know what? In a debate, I could actually stray from my values but want to win the argument so much that I actually abandon the biblical principles just to win the fight. You win the fight, but you lose the war. And then finally, number four, suffer into your renewal. In Hebrews chapter 11, you got all these biblical giants. Abraham, Moses, Jonah, Gideon, David, Samuel, Isaiah. And the Bible talks about them all as big men of faith. And then it ends with a very peculiar sentence. It says this. They never received what they wanted in this world. But they longed for a better country far away. What was the Bible talking about? It was talking about heaven. Next week, we're going to start an amazing series on heaven. It is going to change and revolutionize your whole thoughts about the afterlife. And if there's anybody who you love that has already died and they're in heaven, you're going to find out what they're doing. You're going to find out how they're existing. You're going to find out things that are going to make you look forward to the day when you have the great reunion with them. And that's what these men did. They allowed the temporary earthly suffering to not cloud the greater reward, which was the far-off country, heaven, where we would all be together. Now, look, I know what you might be thinking. You know what, Tom? I'm not into suffering. (laughs) I will do anything I can do to alleviate the suffering. And you know what? I'm here to tell you this. God will still forgive you. He will still love you. He will still be there for you. If, you. if you just aren't strong enough or tough enough to go through it and you've got to do whatever you can to get out of the suffering, God will not abandon you. Just like Jesus won't abandon you. But you won't grow. You won't grow. You'll, 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 you'll stay immature when it comes to actually being able to rise up and face the mess of this world. But if you say, you know what? All right. All right, Tom. I'm going to suffer a little. I'm going to stay off the booze. I'm going to quit fighting with my wife. I'm going to quit arguing on the job. I'm going to quit trying to win every bait. I'm going to suffer a little. I'm going to go through it. I'll have the mud thrown on me. I'll have the turds thrown on me. That's fine. I'm, I, I'll, I'll be patient. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to see this through. I promise you. You will suffer in the strength and you will find a sweet redemption at the other end of that rainbow. Amen? This morning, I'd like you to just search your heart and ask yourself, is there an area where you are avoiding the suffering? An area where you just might be numb to it already you're dealing it with any any way but god's way because god's way just seems so hard and you just don't feel up to it find that 
Let God show you that. You're not wrong for having it. You're not weird for having it. You're normal. Every human being has got their cross to bear. Every human being will have trouble in this world. But Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. He didn't overcome the world through snapping his fingers like you're going to see in Avengers. He overcame the world by hanging on the cross. So right now, find wherever that is. And repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give this issue, I give this temptation up to you. I declare this problem belongs to God. And I affirm you are my Lord and my Savior. I receive your spirit in my heart and your forgiveness over my soul. Help me to suffer into my redemption. In Jesus' name. Amen.